Okay, I, I have to I, I have to say these things. You know, um, I'm, I'm in the <laughs> I'm in the last year. All rabbis wonder what they're going to say the last year of their tenure. So when I give sermons like this, people say to me, "Why do you give political sermons? This is not a political sermon. This is a sermon about values." Hang on. <laughs> Secretary of State of the state of Kansas, Chris Kobach, contends that the reason we need a voting law that requires each voter to prove that she or he is a citizen of the United States is to prevent voter fraud in Kansas. He says this frequently. He says it publicly. Of course, there has never been a case of voter fraud in Kansas that has ever been proven. And so one might speculate that even if voter fraud is happening, the numbers are extremely low. And despite that, 15,000 people who should, as citizens of the United States, be allowed to vote in Kansas are currently being denied the right to vote in a future election because of the Kansas voter registration law. The following can be used to prove that you are allowed the right that all citizens enjoy to vote in the Brownback Kobach state of Kansas. If you possess one of the following, a valid driver's license, employee badge or other ID issued by the government of Kansas, an ID card issued by Kansas or another state, a U.S. military ID, a U.S. passport, a student ID card issued by an accredited Kansas post-secondary school, concealed carry of a handgun license issued by Kansas or any other state where you have a concealed handgun license, a public assistance identification card issued by a government office. Secretary of State Kobach has cited instances of voter fraud in his reports. Credible reporters have repudiated all of them. An article in today's Wichita Eagle reports, a new nationwide analysis of more than 2,000 cases of alleged election fraud over the past dozen years since 2000 shows that in-person voter impersonation on Election Day, which has prompted 37 state legislatures, 37, right? Two-thirds of the United States, to enact or consider tougher voter ID laws was virtually non-existent. The analysis of 2,068 reported fraud cases by News 21, a Carnegie Wright investigative reporting project, found 10 cases of alleged in-person voter impersonation in the last 12 years. Many other reports contend the same thing. Every case that Kobach has brought has been repudiated. Is he simply stupid? Does he not do his homework? Is he irresponsible, or is there something else? I think we can conclude, along with credible organizations like the Brennan Center for Justice at the New York University Law School, that Secretary Kobach is a very highly intelligent man who is purposefully lying to us. Now, I don't say this easily. He's the Secretary of the State of, the state of Kansas. But he's lying. And he's lying with impunity. Which is to say, the Secretary of State of the State of Kansas, in charge of the sacred democratic right to vote, 
is lying in order to limit access to voting in Kansas. I consider this to be astonishing, and this is the subject of this sermon, because everyone knows it, and it no longer seems out of the ordinary or indeed improper for a high state official to attempt to bald-facedly deceive the public. Amazingly, I think this week's Torah portion has something to say about this, which is to say, the role of honesty in the public realm. So I'd like to take you to a little Torah study. We find a remarkable phrase in this week's Torah portion. Deuteronomy 27.9, the Torah says, Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel, saying, Silence! Hear, O Israel! Today you have become the people of the Lord your God. Heed the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his laws, which I enjoin upon you this day. Now there are several remarkable things about this particular passage. First, it says that the Hebrews were becoming God's people that very day, when they're entering the land. Other people might have said, no, they became God's people when they left Egypt 40 years earlier, or when they stood at Sinai three months after that. So why does it say that you were becoming God's people this day? Well, perhaps it has something to do with the rest of the text. So second, when Moses commands silence, the Hebrew word is haskat. It's the only time that word appears in the entirety of the Torah or the Bible. Ready for this? It's a hapex legomenon. A hapex legomenon is a word used only one time in the Bible. The rabbis have a great time playing with it because you can't prove what it means. It doesn't appear anyplace else. They can't be wrong. It's a wonderful source for sermons. So the Talmud and Tractate Brachot, eh, 1,500 years ago, Tractate, which has to do with blessings, comes up with an explanation of what Haskate means. They say it means make yourselves into groupings so that you can study the Torah. Now this I can tell you about the word Haskate. That's not what it meant. But that's what the rabbis say it meant. So they want to make a point. The word for studying in a group is chavura. So it goes on to say, study of Torah can only be gained in a group. You can't study Torah alone. And what does that mean? It means you can't trust yourself alone to come up with the correct interpretation of Torah. You have to have at least one buddy so that you can correct that person and that person can correct your interpretation. It's like two knives sharpening one another. Why? Because the goal of Torah study is to acquire truth. For us to live proper lives, we must honestly endeavor to discover the correct interpretation of how to live, including the correct interpretation of Jewish law. Rabbi Menachem Meiri, referred to as the Meiri, a famous Catalonian rabbi of the 14th century, 
summarize the entirety of the Talmud among his other works. Can you imagine? He was a pretty smart guy. Commenting on this page of Brachot, Meiri says that a person sitting in front of his rabbi should not try to think of how to answer his rabbi or even how to question him until he understands what the rabbi has said with great clarity to understand the intention of the rabbi in the lesson he is teaching. In other words, and you can leave rabbi out of this, okay? Anyone. In other words, don't try to disprove something before you first understand it. Now, I suspect that none of us ever sit in front of somebody having a conversation, and while that person's talking, we're thinking about what our next comment will be so that we can be interesting or disprove what has just been said. But just for the sake of argument, let's assume that somebody listening to their teacher, rather than listening to the argument, is thinking, here's how I can counter that. Well, what a concept the Mayuri comes up with. First, you have to understand. Not exactly what you see on the Sunday morning talk shows in political debates, is it? First, you're supposed to comprehend the other person's intention. Rather than the search of truth, we seem to be out to discredit and to undermine and to keep ourselves from true understanding in order to make points. The Talmud goes on to say that the first thing a student must understand is what is actually being said, what is being talked about. And only then go on to break it apart, to try and understand it philosophically, to try to substantiate it in his own mind. In other words, the first step is comprehension. The second step is not repudiation. But having fully elucidated what is being said to you, then break it up into its constituent parts. It says you have to kill yourself for Torah. That's literally what the rabbis say. But what they mean is, Work very hard on comprehending within yourself to uncover the intention of the words. The first work to be done is inside of us. And then and only then, use every method you have to discover if your meaning is correct. The primary work of understanding, therefore, is internal. And here we see revealed the secret to Jewish success. The same place in the Torah and Talmud says that every word of the Torah is like a diamond that has 70 facets, and you can study all of them to discover its true meaning. But first you have to understand the intention behind the words. What is Jewish genius? The ability to understand what is actually being said to us. We study Torah from the Torah's perspective before we apply our own. There is such thing as the truth that is out there, and we're supposed to comprehend that before we try to work with it or repudiate it. Judaism has its own logic. The method behind Torah study is the pursuit of truth, some sort of objective standard of truth that we may disagree with it is incumbent upon us to wrestle with. The Talmudic discussions seek something that is very difficult 
And here is where the Talmud is so brilliant. For us to allow the text to change us rather than for us to change the text. You see, what has been lost is the ability to say, I am willing to listen enough to change who I am for the sake of the truth. This requires an internal honesty that is self-critical, that examines our personal prejudices in order to weigh our point of view against something different that is being thrown at us. It requires voluntarily abandoning self-promotion. It's the basis for learning. It's the basis for growth to find something that alters who we are and doesn't just enable us to relive our prejudices in order to grind forward in the same old path we have always taken. Like the person who refuses to get directions while driving, insisting that despite contrary evidence, he has a great sense of direction and will ultimately get to his destination. We refuse to admit who we are or to be open to the possibility that we might want to change and be different. Today we seem to live in an atmosphere of intellectual bankruptcy in the public sphere of political debate. And that's the problem with what's being exemplified now in Kansas. There is an intellectual bankruptcy that ultimately is going to destroy our political process if it continues. Kobach not only represents a conservative political perspective, that's his business, but he represents an intolerance for political diversity and a drive to achieve victory through intellectual dishonesty. And we sit around and listen and take it, and we do so at our peril. He uses pseudo-intellectual debate to undermine real intellectual debate. And that is the most pernicious development in our contemporary political atmosphere. We are willing to listen to people be dishonest and not to confront them and not to organize so that we can actually have a democracy in action. A democracy relies upon an informed and thinking citizenry. The bald-faced lies coming from some of our representatives undercut the very structure upon which democracy rests. And that is my worry, not a particular person who happens to hold office. We have reached a sad and I believe dangerous moment in our nation's history when lies are allowed to exist as if they cannot be countered. The Talmud here strives to show us a different way, the way of intellectual integrity, the way of honesty. How far can any of us stretch to hear opposing viewpoints? Well, that's a challenge we all have to assess for ourselves, right? But the great debating society of the Talmud here points the way and thereby provides us with a goal. If we are to live with these great civic debates, we must have a way other than power and coercion to arrive at the truth. For it is on the pursuit of truth that democracy and our future rests. And that 
is a holy occupation that the Talmud showed us the way to achieve. We would do well to follow the intellectual tradition of our people and indeed to assume that we are this day the household of Israel. Okay, you